Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start much-needed conversations. I am your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have a natter and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. A month or two ago, I had the privilege of being invited to a very close friend of mine, Divya's wedding. Me and Divya have known each other for the best part of 10 years after we met at sixth form college together. She went to an all-girls school, I went to the all-boys school, which were kind of sister schools together, essentially, in our area. It was an absolutely joyous event. I danced incredibly hard. I barely knew anyone there, but one of Divya's school friends I got chatting to also happened to run her own mental health podcast like me. Her name is Shreya Shah and she is the host of the In All Fearness podcast. Shreya has conversations with guests on modern day millennial dilemmas, facing their fears and being okay with not being okay. In this episode, we discuss how the podcast started, social media comparison culture, why she wants to do more with the podcast in 2022, how it's given her a creative outlet and how it's taught her to reflect on her own mental health state. We also talk about Shreya's battle with her racial heritage and how it relates to her identity and worldview. Shreya is British Indian and has felt these two worlds of traditional Indian culture versus the English culture she was brought up in, pulling her in two very different directions. In the last few years, she has tried to reconcile these two whilst retaining her individuality and her opinions. We discuss this ongoing battle, the therapy she has done to address it, and a life-changing moment which happened in a relationship just before lockdown. So this is how my check-in with Shreya Shah went. Shreya Shah, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you. You fully recovered from Divya's wedding? (laughs) Just about. (laughs) (laughs) Took me about a few days. A few weeks, a few weeks for me. Yeah, it's like the longest hangover I've ever had. Yeah, I woke up the next day and I was like, man, it's going to take me like two and a half hours to get home. Do you know that thought? It's like, oh, it's going to be such a long morning. But thankfully, it was it was all right. I basically slept from the Jubilee line when I got on at Heathrow Airport, terminal two and three. (laughs) So after that, I was calm. Yeah, it's the journey the next day. But to be fair, when you're sometimes I can't tell whether it's easier to just do it when you're drunk the night before or to do it hungover the next day. I packed I never everything know what's better. drunk when I got back. I like packed all my suit back into oh, my suit okay. carrier whilst I was still yeah. smashed. Because I was like, I know <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do my hand-eye coordination whilst I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's always nice to interview someone who cares about mental health. Well, I'm presuming as much as, as I do, but I, I hope so anyway. <laughs> to the point where you've started your own mental health and lifestyle and millennial life podcast Shreya so without further ado shall we crack on with the show yeah let's do this let's start the pod by talking about your baby the podcast in all fairness what was the inspiration behind the name and why were you inspired to give it a go I'd been thinking about doing a podcast for a while it grew out of me trying to battle my own sort of internal conflicts around 
millennial issues and just the general aches and pains of like growing up and being in your 20s and navigating the whole post-university life. And I did find that the issues that we face and our generation faces are a lot different to our parents. So it was difficult to connect with the older generation on those issues and get real relatable advice. Mm. And in a world where we kind of see each other's lives on a daily basis and we're always seeing what's going on with each other, yet don't actually know what's going on. It was a weird realization that I had. It's like, I kind of, I know what's going on with everyone because I see it every day, but then do I actually know what's going on in everyone's lives? And I just wanted to build a platform where I could have conversations with different types of people and speak about their journeys and basically help people realize that this idea of perfectionism that social media has us believe that we should all strive to, or we should all be having, like, we should all be put together and we should all be having this perfect life. It's it's fine if you're not in that place and you're, you've got all these slip ups and that's normal. Like I want to normalize being normal. And yeah, I thought just having conversations with people that you might think on the surface have their life put together, they, they've figured it out, having the conversations with them and seeing where their journey has been and that actually they've gone through different things throughout their lives. And it's not been plain sailing for them too. So yeah, just kind of wanted to open up that conversation and mm. for people to get an insight into that as well. That no, sounds great. Part of your tagline in the podcast is telling people it's okay to not be okay, which is, I guess, a universal argument about our general mental health. But how do you approach mental illness and trauma, which sometimes doesn't always apply to that saying? So yeah, like I said, I think because of social media, we're sort of made to believe that our lives should be perfect and that we should have it all figured out. And I wanted to tackle mental health from that angle and just remind everyone that it is okay to not be perfect. And I wanted to tackle it through going through the journeys of different people and chatting about their ups and downs. Because in our own lives, we might see people who seem to have their shit together or in the media, we see people who seem to have their lives together. But Actually, you don't know what they've gone through and what they're going through to be where they are in that point in their life. You don't know that until you speak to someone and you have that lens because social media is just such a small part of everyone's life. It is just a highlight reel. So, yeah, I think podcasts in general are just such a nice way to actually open up those conversations and be able to see into other people's lives in a more real and authentic way. And yeah, just allows people to be a lot more raw about these things. Mm. Again, it's not like a video where you are a little bit more vulnerable because you're seen. But I think people are a lot more vulnerable on a podcast and are a lot more open about things. So it just seemed like the perfect platform to be able to tackle that mm. that side of things. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk a little bit more about comparison culture in a second. But on presenting itself, Shreya, you've got a very nice voice for podcasts, I must say. When I started listening to it, I was like, oh, this is very soothing. This is very ASMR. Did that presenting style take a while to learn? Have you had feedback about it from other people that you're quite a nice voice to listen to? Or Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I've been told I've got a really calming voice. And so that wasn't something that I was massively trying like I wasn't trying to be, <laughs> Who does, I wasn't putting really? that on, if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised. Like when I first started doing the podcast, I remember my first episode, I recorded it and re-recorded it so many times trying to perfect it. <laughs> and then I thought about my actual tagline. I was like, hold on a second. 
you're trying to promote the idea of not being perfect and it's you know okay to not actually have things completely perfect yet you're sitting here spending hours trying to perfect this first episode <laughs> and it's going against everything that you've basically you're basically trying to promote so then I just realized that actually I think it's better for me to just present my most authentic self mm. with all the mistakes and the hiccups along the way and that will be what ultimately makes me more re- relatable and yeah I've still got so much to learn in terms of how I do do the podcast and on my presenting style and but yeah it's it's something that I'm growing along the way and doing it this way will allow me to grow and develop alongside the podcast and develop a style that I'm most comfortable with because there's no point forcing a style when which ultimately isn't (laughs) you because you know people see right through it but yeah yeah. no thank you though no worries no worries it was it was a nice it was a nice little bit of research for me definitely when it comes to comparison culture then you said to me off air when we strip it all back we all work eat sleep So do you feel like social media has made us forget that in our generation? Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. And this is what, when I I touched on it earlier, I want to normalise being normal. What is normal? Exactly, what is normal? Normal is, you know, everyone has a different lifestyle. Everyone's lifestyle is slightly different. But we see on social media someone living their best life in Bali but and I say Bali because I've literally recently had a friend who's moved out to Bali and I literally <laughs> am so close to blocking her on Instagram <laughs> just you just you just, just you that's all you need to do okay. I'm not okay with this I'm sitting in rainy England and <laughs> but again yeah it's the comparison because I'm then questioning my normal and actually whatever I've achieved this year and whatever I'm achieving day to day I should be proud of because everyone should be proud of their own achievements in the in the day and just because you haven't gone and I don't know won an award for something ridiculous sometimes I think you just got to celebrate little wins and I've started doing that like started going back into the office five days a week recently which has been quite challenging and sometimes I find like oh I don't I just don't have my life together like <laughs> I feel so like I feel like a mess by the time I come home and I've started celebrating the really small wins. Like one day I'll wake up and I'll have time to make my bed in the morning. And that is such an accomplishment. And I think if we start by just celebrating those small things for ourselves, then that's all you can ask for. Like we don't need to be achieving a thousand and one things every single day. And as sad as it is, a lot of people, you just wake up, eat, work, sleep, repeat. That is just how life is. And I think what's happened in our generation, at least, is this glamorization mm. of life. And there is a small number of people, I believe, that have got the luxury of living that type of life. But again, we don't know the struggles and what those people have gone through to get to that point that they're at. We don't know what's going on in the background for mm. them. But the reality is that the majority of us do live just a normal nine to five job and you make what you can of your day. And that's fine. Like you don't need to be living a glamorous life every single day. Yeah. And I also say a lot on this podcast that the people that are posting about how great their lives are, you see them in real life and they're pretty boring. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're quite boring yeah. people to talk to. Do you know to. what? This is something that I've... I don't want to make like a, a statement on it. It's, it's more of an <laughs> Go opinion. Go on, make a statement. Because, Go on. You, know, <laughs> you know, I'm not a professional or anything. I can't tell you that this is the fact. But it's something that I've sort of observed. And I feel like 
when you post on social media, the more you post, it's more of like an, a compensation mm. or an overcompensation for something. A lot of people in my lives who I feel like are really just content and happy and happy with where they, they are. They don't need to post much, do they? Yeah, you'll see that they don't post a lot on Instagram. Every they don't now post and then a lot. or whatever, you know. Yeah, 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 which is fine because, you know, sometimes you'll you'll have a nice snap or a nice picture and you want to post it. But yeah, in general, I find that the people who do, who are happier, generally don't feel like they need to show it off. So it makes it does make me wonder if when people are posting more, is it is it sort of like an over... Is it a way to overcompensate for something? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. That is, it's a I massive generalization. <laughs> it's a massive generalization for sure. Massive generalization. But yeah, again, it's just if people are listening and they think that, you know, when someone's posting so many, so many stories and it looks like they're having like the best time, actually, maybe they're, I don't know. Don't take it completely face value. You know, you don't know what's going on. Indeed. Doing the podcast then, have you reflected on your own social media behavior? Have you ever thought, oh, maybe I was engaging in it knowingly or unknowingly in the past? Oh yeah, definitely. We all have at some point, I feel. I'm definitely guilty of it, yeah, for sure. And I used to do it a lot more before. But again, I think I'm now coming to a point in my life where I am a little bit more content. And you have these realisations. Also, just getting older, you're not as consumed by it. But I fall into the trap so many times. But again, like, it's fine. That's okay. I'm not saying, you know, those people who do post are bad people or that they've got issues no. because they don't they just you know it's, it's all of us we're all guilty of doing it at some point it's not the problem I think isn't with the people who post or the people who are posting on social media I think we need to have a better understanding of what we're seeing and how we view things so x y and z might post something they can do what they want it's how are you going to take what you see and what are you going to do with it and I think that's what people need to be a bit more aware of is how they're viewing things on yeah. social media and, I mean, and not letting it get to them you won't but i'll blame influencers 100 <laughs> percent. i mean i'll say that openly yeah. but there we go that's a, that's a podcast for another day i want to move <laughs> on to the episode you did which i found really enjoyable actually and felt very, very seen from a male perspective was your uh, dating episode where you chatted to your two close mates about the reality mm-hmm. apps for girls and women I've Mm -hmm. spoken about the mental health impact of dating apps quite extensively on this podcast, Shreya, with with a few guests. And I found your honesty quite refreshing, actually, and quite Mm eye-opening. So why were you three keen? Was it three of you? was three of you, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it was three of us. Why were the three of you keen to discuss it? So it was a time we'd just come out of lockdown. I think dating apps, before lockdown, they were very popular anyway, as it were, before lockdown happened. And then... And then we went into this pandemic and it was really difficult to start meeting, yeah, um, meeting anyone. I mean, I found dating apps quite difficult anyway, even <laughs> pre-lockdown. Um, it was difficult. <laughs> I found dating in general just difficult, whether it was in person or on an app. Like, it was just difficult. Mm. Yeah, and then the pandemic happened and dating apps were the only way to really meet anyone. And so it seemed like quite an, a good topic to talk about because I did find that, a lot. speaking to a lot of my friends... It was almost creating this level of anxiety mm. amongst them. So there's all the ghosting that happens. You're, you're yeah, chatting to someone. How do you yeah. build? Yeah. yeah. How do you build a connection with someone online? And then you have, and then you have the introduction of these FaceTimes with someone <laughs> oh, you don't even know. Oh, the most um, anxiety oh, like video I've calls. ever seen. Oh my <laughs> exactly. god. Exactly. And it's, I mean, it's scary. And like I said, I found it quite daunting just dating someone in in person and then to add all of that on top and I'm I mean I never really went on the apps during lockdown so 
I didn't have the experience myself. I mean, but I did you. Have... Obviously, you obviously yeah. had a healthy range of suitors before that. Which I mean, not the thing to. is, <laughs> you, say, you say it was lucky. I do, I mean, I'm generalizing again that, you know, because the majority of my friends had not great experiences, mm. but I have friends who have had really positive experiences yeah, actually yeah, as yeah, well. Cool. So, you know, it works. By, and that was why I wanted to have the conversation because I was like, is there a certain strategy to it? Is it just like a person dependent thing? Is it dependent on the person itself? Which I think it Depends really is. I think a girl or a boy. <laughs> Boys are yeah, it can, exactly. <laughs> but I think the, the male experience is so much different 100%. to the female experience. It's so different. So I just think it's just the dating app world is just so dynamic and it's just... It's very interesting. You talk about it for ages. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to have a, a yeah. conversation about it from a male perspective as 100%. well. One hundred percent. Really interesting. I, I think so. Talking to male guests, female guests. So the majority of male guests, outside of you know the, I don't want to use the Eve Psych term, but the Chad or the or, or you know the top, the top, <laughs> the top guy, basically. For the majority of boys, it's very much like it has to be a numbers game because you don't get a lot of matches. You might get two or three mm. a day max. You might then have to like build up from that. Whereas girls, obviously, there's all the added pressures of a guy you're going on a date with could be an absolute serial killer or, you know, a predator or whatever. And you have no idea. You literally, well, you could have an inkling for red flags, but you don't ever have 100% idea. And any girl above an average level of attractiveness just gets hundreds hundreds of matches hundreds of likes so what it does is you then create a list in order to filter out all the hundreds of matches so like there was a point when your friend was saying she saw a guy that was like five foot nine and initially her brain thought oh he was too short but she wouldn't think the same in real life but because she created yeah. that list in her head then the filter started kicking in whereas in real life the filter isn't there is no, that perfection is angle a... common do you think amongst men and women by the way I yeah. should say. it's such a good point it's like this um, this mental tick box that you have and are they perfect on paper i'm only five um... foot ten. Oh, sad <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure my boyfriend's five five foot ten well, that's what um, i mean but I still which felt in sad. my mind i'm like I can't, like, I don't, I don't, I don't really don't know about height. I don't know very much, but like in my head, I'm like, if you're six, if you're, if you're smaller than six foot, you're small, but actually you're not. Six foot is very tall. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I think, I think you're just, everyone's just disillusioned about height. It's just, yeah, it's just disillusioned about it. But yeah. yeah, there is this mental tick box, I think that everyone has, at least I definitely had it of a person that's perfect on paper for you, which in real life, I think if you were to meet someone you wouldn't necessarily tick all those boxes. Mm. You'll go off of vibes, yeah, you'll go yeah, off yeah. of energy, you'll go off of, you know, how easy are those Interest, to talk to. And then vibe off something in, else. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you know, you might not even have the same interest, but when you first meet someone, you're not necessarily gonna know that. That's something you figure out throughout a relationship. Like and you're never gonna figure out something. But the thing with an app is it puts all of that yep. in one all at once. You have this person that you've matched with, you've got all of their interests, you've got all of their hobbies, you've got literally almost everything about that person that you would really care about is there right in front of you. So it's so easy to just dismiss them or accept them really quickly. Whereas, yeah, you just don't, you just, I just feel like you don't do that in real life. And yeah, it just, it raises that bar. And I think it's in a sort of unfair way. It's not, I don't know, it doesn't yeah. seem as natural to me. Yeah, I don't know, but it has, it has worked for some people. And I think it is just how you view it. Yeah, it's just how you kind of approach it as well. Like I, I struggle to, also just 
my chat on text is just not great <laughs> so I just struggle to like the matching on match and then you're having this conversation and then I'm just like I don't know what, where to go from here yeah and then you find that you've spoken to someone but then you've spoken to them too much to the point where you then go on your date in the physical date that's it. That was going to bring me on to my next question because there was like a point. It felt like an interview. Yeah, no, 100%. Because a... you've seen their CV. Yeah, no. Essentially, exactly, you've seen their CV exactly. and then you're like, okay, well, now I'm going to ask you about all these things. It's just, it felt really unnatural. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and the question I was going to sort of lead on to is that there was like a behavior which you were talking about where you'd match with a guy, sorry, not you, but like either your friends or kind of in girls general, you knew yeah. in general. Yeah. You'd match with a guy and then you'd not respond to their messages and other times they'd ask you out and then the person talking would unmatch them and that's happened to me and oh i would be like we're vibes in we're having a good <laughs> chat and then i ask them out and they just unmatch and i'm like what's going on but you blame yourself as a boy like yeah. you blame yourself i didn't know this was happening as a general rule so that kind of spun me when no. you talked about it yeah and i just literally it's funny you say this because i was with some friends yesterday and um <laughs> She was telling me, she was like, I've got this date on Tuesday and like, I'm really excited. And she went to show us because we were like, oh, let's see. So she went to show us this guy's profile and she was like, hold on, I can't find him anymore. <laughs> Turns out he'd unmatched her. <laughs> so she was like, okay, I guess I'm not going on this Wait, date Wait, he'd unmatched her? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it happens. And yeah, like you said, you end up blaming yourself because she was definitely like, did I say something? have I said anything? And we're like, no, because like the last conversation they'd had was about their date on Tuesday. And yeah, you really do start questioning yourself. But again, a lot of the times it isn't you, it no, is the no. person that's that unmatched you. Has got something episode. going on, obviously. <laughs> yeah, they've clearly got something going on and have realised actually, I, it's not the right way to do it. 100% not the right way to do it. And I think people need to have that awareness that yes, you're behind your phone you've got the protection of not having seen this person we wouldn't do in, real that life. in real life we wouldn't do this kind of behavior would you, you? especially that late on you're, bloody you're, hell <laughs> that's late yeah. on to and that's the thing you're hiding behind your phone and you've got that layer of protection and it's so easy to unmatch someone it's so easy to block them and delete them and ghost them that it takes away the emotion from it and I think if people had a little bit more awareness of how it can make the person on the other side feel about mm. themselves then maybe it wouldn't happen as often like I'm definitely a, a lot more aware of if I don't like someone I think that's fine I think that's completely yeah, fair yeah, yeah. if they don't like me I think that's completely fair as well yeah. like you don't have to like everyone you meet no. people don't have to like you at the same time exactly exactly <laughs> it's not and it's not it's nothing personal a lot of the times it's nothing personal it's not that you're a bad person it's just that you haven't clicked or that the other person didn't think that you clicked mm. and that's fine as well but I don't think it's any excuse to just completely go somewhere. I think there are ways in which you can go about doing it mm. and you can you can let someone know in a nicer way. People are understanding, but what people can't understand is when there's no explanation people, for it. People yeah. find it easier. <clears throat> yeah. People find it easier to understand when you've explained your issue to them. Yeah. But what they will struggle to understand is when it seems like an issue of theirs. When they start to question their own sanity and their own personality, that's what's difficult for someone to understand. Yeah. I um, rather than if you just said, actually, I'm going through X, Y, and Z, or I didn't think that we clicked. And you're like, cool. And that's why oh, I think yeah, we, we should. Moved. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, yeah. fine, okay, Closure, cool. Closure, done, move on. You're never going yeah. to see you again. It's calm. Yeah. Whereas if you completely cut it off with no explanation, then that person is going to start questioning their own 
like your mental health, own... it does affect you. Yeah, and yeah, and you're just gonna use you know, you have image issues and all of this and that's difficult to understand. It's difficult to wrap your head around that than it is to wrap around wrap your head around yeah. an actual explanation given by someone. So I... yeah, I think if people are a bit more aware then mm. it'll definitely make the process of dating apps a lot nicer yeah 100 um, i remember matching with a, i remember this is a this is a funny story i didn't think i'd be telling on the podcast i remember matching with a girl i think i must have sent a like the night before match with a girl she sent the first message i was chatting to her like as i got ready for work like traveling on the tube almost like messaging instantly like pretty quick and then by the time <laughs> i literally text my mate this i said by the time i'd got off the tube because i'd asked her out she had unmatched me <gasps> So I was like, literally, match to unmatch in what forty five minutes? Nuts! In a tube journey. Yeah, tube journey. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, so funny. Anyway, I want yeah, to. It's just, it's yeah, just the ability to be able to just do it so quickly. That's yeah, it's a bit scary. It's a, but... it's a mind, it's a mind fuck for sure. I want to finish yeah. with this topic by just asking you about an interesting question you posed to your friends, where you asked if the guys they were seeing on the apps were posting pictures because society had taught them that the opposite sex wanted to see that. I'm thinking the picture with the dog that always boys. Yeah. By the way, girls do that so much, by the way, the, the dog picture. <laughs> oh my God. Or the baby. I didn't know boys did this as really? much, but yeah, apparently boys take loads of pictures babies. of babies, probably nieces or something like that. The term for it that I think evolution psychologists call like the magpie theory, where you hold up something yeah. shiny and you think the person's going to like, the other person's going to like it, like a car, for example. Yeah. I don't know why that boys think that works. Do we want this or are we all deluded? No, I think, so again, like obviously I'm not a professional. I don't know, but this is sort of my opinion on it. But I think there's an element of like, see, again, with the whole tick box theory. Mm. So you, you want, when you're looking on an app, the reason you're looking is it's more efficient and you, you have access to, all the points of someone's life that may interest you. So why wouldn't someone want to play to that? I get it. I get why boys would want to post pictures and girls of them with a dog or them with a baby because posting a picture with a baby or a niece or a nephew shows that you're, it's essentially like a mating call. It's weird, but like yeah, I was, yeah. I've, been, I've been reading Sapiens and it's, it's kind of, it is, it does sort of fit that theory because you want, essentially when you are dating, you want to date someone that's going to be there for the long run. So you want someone that's strong, healthy, is going to be good with kids. So like, I think that's why when girls see guys that are fit and they look like they've gone to the gym and all of this, in their mind, it's not so much the physical, the looks that is appealing. It's more, I think, that they look healthy and that they, they look like they look after themselves. So they're going to survive longer. <laughs> so it's like that theory of like the evolutionary theory as well that kind of plays into it. And you want to put your best self forward on these apps. So you want to increase your chances of being able to match with someone. And if those sort of things are proven to have a better success rate with matches, then yeah, I think that's why like boys and girls have fallen into just posting like certain types of things. Um, But it does take away from your authentic. Tell you that much. Yeah, it takes away from you being genuine and authentic. Which so like my profile, for example, years ago now, but. I had like all these glamorous photos of me and then when I thought about it I was like I'm really not that glamorous in real life like I'm really like I'm quite ditzy bit of a klutz like on the surface of it I look like I'm quite glamorous but then actually like I'm not and when you get to know me who I am is just you know it's just quite stripped down and you don't see that on an app and like 
I don't want people to meet me in real life and then be shocked. <laughs> I'd rather they get to know me for who I am right from the start, which I think is, again, why the apps never work for me is because I think I was putting out a version of myself that wasn't really me. But I didn't know how else to do it other than that. I still don't know. If I was single again and I had to do the apps, I actually just well, I don't know how I would do it. Like, I think I would still go back to putting those pictures up, like the really, really nice pictures and like trying to make myself look like this really cool like you know the comment that you can do those comments and like now you can do a voice note apparently and all of that like I think I would just try too hard and then again I'd lose myself in the process I wouldn't be myself and then when they meet me I think they'll just be in for a shock yeah I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you something <laughs> for free boys ain't listening to any of those voice prompts and I don't think girls are <laughs> okay either. good to know maybe girls good will do it if they know the person is a red flag that that's the only time I think a girl will be listening to any of those voice prompts lads just saying yeah I want to yeah, it's a weird one I want to talk about personal development now and how the podcast has helped mm. you Shreya so how has it how have you grown along with it I think so it's been a great creative outlet for me I have like a normal banking job and a lot of the times it's so easy to just get caught up in the numbers and all of that that side of things and I've always had a creative side to me I love talking and I love meeting new people actually just I really enjoy meeting new people and hearing other people's journeys so for me that's the second greatest thing that's come out of the podcast and that I've learned is learning a how to sort of be organized and structure podcasts and you've got to be really disciplined with yourself because you are essentially doing it for you so there's a lot of discipline that comes with it but also meeting new people and having conversations with a lot of different types of people is so refreshing you learn so much about yourself doing each episode you obviously know this you do great research um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> um but yeah like researching topics and also the guests that you're interviewing again that takes discipline but also I just learned so much from just doing the research and then also you learn so much on top when you actually do the podcast you learn so much from that person that you're interviewing so yeah it's just it's been incredible mm. incredible learning experience um, incredible for me just on a personal level just for my own like sanity for my own mental health it gave me something to do over the lockdown a little project to work on it was like my baby mine doesn't pay mine doesn't pay me <laughs> there's um, no money in mental health Australia, just there's no, there's no money in it yeah yeah definitely there's no money in Not it now, anyway. um even if I can just help one or two people who listen then for me that's better than anything that I can achieve at work and it's that feeling of you know actually giving back that really keeps me going and makes me want to do more and keep going, even though there isn't any monetary value in it. I can spend hours on it and um, you don't do it for the money, I wouldn't ever look back. Yeah, yeah I would never look back. No regrets at all mm. um, on the time I've spent on it, even though, you know, the time hasn't made, made me any money. It's given me a lot more than money could ever buy you. Mm. So 100% worth it. And I've learned so much. And I know that there's just so much more I can learn from it. And I'm looking forward to where... Hopefully the next year will take me when I do start it back up again. I'm looking forward to, you know, the person that I can become as well by the end of it. You talked about meeting new people there. I'm obviously one of those people you have met, but we kind of mm -hmm. probably knew of each other's worlds when we were at school together, probably, to be honest. But so the listeners know, you went to a predominantly South Asian or girl school. So mm -hmm. at least in school, you weren't spending time with too many people from different cultures until you went to university. Did that change with the podcast too? Not so much with the podcast. Yeah, luckily, going to university, I had a much more diverse group of friends. I say luckily, I mean, it wasn't a disadvantage at my school at all, because I learned a lot from the girls at my own school. But yeah, it was definitely beneficial in terms of like having a broader view of the world, 
being in a more diverse group of friends at university I kind of came out of my shell a lot more as you do at university anyway you do that anyway being at uni but I think yeah having a wider mix of friends definitely helped that after university as well going into work that diverse group just grows and grows and it's incredibly diverse now and I've never had any problems or any issues it's always been quite a love nice experience people have always been really open to wanting to learn more so thankfully I've never had any bad experiences and yeah I'd say with the podcast I haven't I haven't done many but I've interviewed like a, a diverse range definitely excellent as a final um, question then what has it taught you about yourself I've learned that I can be a lot more disciplined than I thought I can if I put my mind to something that I really love and that actually <laughs> I'm not massively money motivated, um, <laughs> which when you're younger, it's all you think about. When I was younger, all I could think about was what is going to make me the most money? What is going to make me super rich? And that's all that mattered. All that mattered to me was I thought that money equaled happiness. But doing the podcast made me realize actually what makes you really happy is when you're doing something that you really care about and what you're really passionate about. And when you're giving back to your community, to like people who are going through similar things to you, when you can give back something, that is so much more important to me, I've learned. And yeah, I've just learned that I, I do love meeting new people, learning about other people's journeys. And I want to be able to continue opening that conversation up around mental health and make it a lot more, and normalise a lot more things that people are a little bit more scared to normalise. So. I think that's probably the biggest takeaways, biggest things I've learned about myself. We've talked all about, in all fairness, Shreya the podcast presenter, Shreya the producer. I want to go a bit deeper and talk about your own journey, Shreya. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Walk me through early life, teenage years. And looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Shreya we meet here? So growing up, I had pretty easy upbringing. There was nothing, you know, you could say was wrong. I had my parents were incredible, had a really great brother, still do. So yeah, it was all pretty painstaking. I moved around a lot. So I went to several different primary schools, which was probably the only thing that was sort of, that changed a lot for me. And growing up when I was a lot younger, so early primary school years, didn't have many friends, which was at the time, I didn't really care very much about and I think has made me quite an independent person now. But yeah, I went to a an all-girls Catholic school. Oh, right. Which, yeah, completely different to Woodford. So I felt very odd at the school, but it, it never really bothered me. At least I don't think it did. So I was very just comfortable just being me, doing my own thing. So other than that, it was all pretty plain sailing. I was pretty academic. I liked studying. I didn't have a lot of pressures academically. I just, I wanted to do well. It came from me. I just enjoyed it and I kind of wanted to do well for myself. But I think the mental health, the journey sort of started after university. I'd say university was also a great time for me. I learned a lot about myself as most of us do. I moved away from home. So I was living on on my own with friends and, you know, you just, you just become a lot more independent. And it was such a pivotal point for me and my independence but after university I think was when I started to really struggle with mental health I think it was that transition from university life where everything is still sort of done for you so you've got that element of independence but things are pretty much 
figured out for you. You've got your exams, you do your exams, but then you get your results. It's all structured still. There's still that structure there, quite like in school. But then after university, you are literally on your own. You've got to figure out your career. You've got to figure out where that journey is going to take you. That's the next 60 years that you've got to try and find out what works for you. Figuring that out was a bit of a struggle. And that's for sure when the mental health struggle started, like I started to get a lot more anxious and uh, a lot more just just stressed out in generally. And I think also on top of that, I think after coming back from university, I had obviously all this independence, moving back to London with my parents. I struggled to then bring back that independence that I achieved at university. I, I struggled to bring that out again because my parents bless them just want to do everything for me and then when they do want to do everything for you you just kind of let them so I just I let myself go a little bit and I'd lost that independence again so that almost became quite frustrating because whilst it's nice that someone wants to do your washing and wants to drop you to the station every morning and wants to cook for you and do all of those things it's lovely it's great but at the same time losing that independence is actually not not great for your mental health so it takes away that autonomy that was an internal battle I was kind of having with myself straight after university. And then that sort of developed again further in the few years after to this sort of battle between two cultures. So mm-hmm. I've started to feel as the years have gone on this conflict almost, or just a struggle to figure out where I fit in between the two cultures. I love both and I have had an experience of both but it almost feels like I'm living in two separate worlds sometimes and I don't feel super settled. So that's my journey at the minute is trying to figure that out and feel a little bit more settled. But again, it's a journey and I'm, I'm still working on it and it comes with it, all its ups and downs. But yeah, I'd say all in all, great childhood, great early years. But then I'd say after university was when things started to get really difficult. Mm. You called this battle an identity crisis. Can you tell me what you meant by that and how have you started to navigate that as an adult woman so like I said earlier I've got a very diverse group of friends now a lot of different groups of friends from a lot of different types of backgrounds with a lot of different interests and whilst I love I love having so many friends love it I love having a lot of different types of friends with different interests but sometimes it makes me wonder why I fit in with all of those groups of friends. And it's because I'm, I can adapt quite easily to different groups of people. Yeah, you can code switch. Yeah, really easily. But I don't identify with one group in particular. So you don't have one strong code. The the, the strand of code isn't, there's not one that fits you perfectly. Yeah. 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 And it started to make me think about, who I am, what my identity is, and where do I really fit in? And what does it mean to be me? So who am I really? That's what I've been struggling recently, obviously with my parents and their culture, and that also being quite different. It also adds to that identity crisis, because I've got lots of different groups of friends who are very different. But then also, I've got this culture and my parents and my family who are also very different. So then I'm trying to be a combination of everything but trying to figure out where I fit in on that scale and I would have thought I would have figured it out by now because I'm like 28 would have thought you know I'd, I'd know who I am by now surely but 
yeah, I don't. And it's a bit of an odd place to be because one year I think I'll figure out, okay, I think I've, you know, this is me. I, this is what I like to do. I like this. This is like my style. We change though. We change. But yeah, and then the next year I'm like, oh, actually, I don't know. Uh, That's being human. So yeah, that is also true. And I don't know if I am just being, if I'm overthinking it, if I'm overthinking this idea of having an identity, is it something that not really anyone has? And I've just overthought the whole thing and actually you'll find you know, everyone's just a chameleon mm. at the end of the day or yeah I don't I don't know it's it's a it's one that I I've had a lot of questions about but don't know the answer really mm. tell me who you are then oh it's a tough one um I'd say right now I am quite a chameleon I'll tell you how my friends would describe <laughs> me I couldn't tell you who I am because I really don't know this is, this is, part, of, this is part of the topic my friends would describe me as quite accommodating which I agree with I'm very chilled and I tend to put other people's interests before mine I'm a people pleaser for sure and that's come about from quite an early age having this need to want to please my parents and please my family I think that's sort of trickled down to my adult life where I feel like I always need to make sure that everyone else is happy need to make sure that everyone else is okay Mm. because if they're okay then I'm okay and that is how I define happiness for myself is actually other people being happy And it's only in the last two or three years that I've actually started to step back and be like, actually, what makes me happy? Do I need to start being a little bit more selfish about certain things and slightly less accommodating if it means putting myself first? So if that means, you know, leaving a party a little bit earlier, even though someone doesn't want me to leave just so I can get a good night's sleep. It's not selfish, it's self-care. Yeah, self-care. There we go. But sometimes it feels selfish for me because I'm so used to constantly making other people happy. So for me, it's like when I then put myself first. So like, for example, yesterday, like not drinking, making sure I got an early night so that I was feeling okay for this morning. In the past, I wouldn't have done that. To please everyone else, I would have had a few more drinks and then dealt with the repercussions the next day. And yeah, and I think I've slowly started to realize that actually... I need to start putting myself first because then that person the next day is not a nice person to be around. So yeah, I'd say I'm overall a bit of a people pleaser, but I'm starting to realize actually I can be both. Mm. I can still please people, but also look after myself. And again, it's a process and it's it's something that I'm still figuring out, but I realized nonetheless sooner rather than later. Mm. As a people pleaser in recovery, I can attest to this and the best phrase I ever heard was on a podcast episode done by the High Performance Podcast. And I can't remember the second half of this saying, but it was something along the lines of, you know, not people pleasing. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less or something like that. But it's not thinking less of yeah. yourself. So that's yeah. the kind of mantra I stick to when it comes to self-care. Yeah. And, the, and the thing that you'll probably start to experience as well, Shreya, because you've only done this in the last two or three years, is that when you start to put, yourself first a little bit more and you self-care other people who are used to you not doing that will start to have their noses a little bit bent out of shape but you've got to stay Mm. strong you've got to be like well actually I'm doing this for me and sooner rather than later they will quickly drop off but you've got to keep the line strong and they will realize that no you're not there to be mucked about and you can still be there for others without thinking less of yourself 
Yeah, no, it's so true. And I'm I'm really lucky that my friends are really understanding. It's something that I've definitely developed myself. I've made myself do it. They couldn't care less whether I was exactly. making them happy. Diddy would never not, make you know them do I mean? But it's something that in my head, <laughs> in my head, I'd like worked up myself to believe that that's what I needed to do. And that's what people wanted. But actually, you know, they're like, yeah, you do you, which is great. Got really good, like a great group of friends who are really supportive of that. So and I think that's really important as well, is just to make sure you're surrounded by supportive people who are going to support that sort of journey. Sometimes you have to retreat and you don't want to be surrounded by people who are going to make you feel bad for putting yourself first. It's not what you know anyone needs. So yeah, I think being surrounded by people who are supportive is really, really helpful. Mm. One quote you said on one of your episodes was this, sometimes I can't quite tell what my own opinions are and when they've been shaped by others. So have you found your voice yet? Yeah, for a while I thought I was becoming a product of other people's opinions. And so I'm quite an indecisive person. (laughs) Really bad at making decisions, always have been. And so naturally I think I'm quite easily influenced. So when there are people around me who have very strong opinions about certain things, and especially if they're people that I care about a lot or that I value or respect a lot, it's something that I'm very easily influenced by. So for example, my parents, I obviously love and respect them so much, but living with them after university when at a point where I'm trying to become my own person, trying to work things out for myself, trying to create my own opinions, when you're living with anyone, and it's not just my parents, it just happens to be that my, I was living with my parents, but this could have been anyone that I was living with that had strong views. But because they were my parents, they'd already lived their lives, they were wise, and they're wise, and they're mm-hmm. old, and they've got their opinions, they've built these opinions because of certain reasons. They've had that journey to build those opinions on their own. But because I was living with them, and because I am so easily influenced, and I respect their opinions so much, I found that I was starting to think the way that they thought and I was trying, I was starting to, the opinions I were having were based around theirs. And even though it wasn't something that I would necessarily agree with or not something that I would necessarily relate to, I was having this real internal conflict. And I realized actually I need to move out because I need to be able to create these opinions for myself. That's the only way that I am going to be able to grow and I am going to be able to become my own person. Mm. And that has been really helpful in the last year I've, I've lived with, lived out with my friends and taken that plunge. And it's been really helpful. That's been probably one of the best things that's happened in me. And like no shade to my parents because they're great, obviously, oh, but they've course, had yeah. that journey to make those opinions on their own, whereas I hadn't and I needed to have that. So, yeah, I think it's still something that I'm working on, but definitely something that I, I figured out a lot more in the last year. Well, let's move on now. We met at, an Indian wedding, Shreya, and our mutual friend Divya has come up a lot on this podcast already. So I'm, I hope this, I said this to her before we did this, that I hope this is an additional wedding gift to her that I'm helping, that I'm helping you to shout out to Divya. <laughs> Weddings are a great occasion of joy, but ironically, ones that you can find quite hard. And when we spoke off air and you told me about the difficulties you sometimes have with weddings, I actually began to see... And I realized this internal battle you were having when we were there and you would kind of dance, we were all dancing together. And I could sort of sense this internal battle you were having on the dance floor. Like it felt like you wanted to have a great time and you wanted to celebrate with Divya. You wanted to celebrate with all of us, which you were. But at the same time, you were 
you were struggling to hold on to something or perhaps struggling to let something go. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It's actually really interesting that you noticed because recently weddings have been really hard for me. And I think it's because it's a combination of the cultural battle that I'm having. So being caught in between the two worlds, but also I'm at that age where there is a lot of pressure to be getting married. So, and I don't even know, I don't know if I want to get married. I'm so happy for my friends who are getting married and who are having these big weddings, like so happy for them. And like, I love being able to celebrate it with them. Every time I do have a wedding to go to, I almost, it stresses me out. I get a lot of anxiety around it because it reminds me that I need to start thinking about what I want in terms of marriage, in terms of weddings. And my parents really want me to have a big Indian wedding. I still don't know. And it's that battle because I'm like, oh. but Indians anyway, uh, I don't know if you know, but. I went to the county, so I'll know, I'll know a little bit. <laughs> the weddings are honestly, it's more, it's literally all your parents dream about. It's not even about like, you know how when you're watching movies and like, it's always the girl, the girls have dreamt about their wedding since they were young, blah, blah, blah. For Indian girls, it's not the Indian girls that have been dreaming about their wedding, it's their parents. <laughs> like, I have not been dreaming about my wedding, I can tell you. I haven't thought about my wedding when I was younger. I didn't care for it. But my parents have been planning it since the day I was born. So for me, the battle is, I really don't want to let them down. I really want to give it to them. Like, I want to give that to them. But at the same time, I don't know if I want it. I don't know if I want that big wedding. For me, something like I'm looking forward to having a marriage and being married to someone, whether I have the big wedding or not, is not a big deal to me. But medium size. <laughs> medium size, well, I don't know. It's would not that, really. Would that fly? Is that even possible with an Indian <laughs> wedding? I don't know. <laughs> I should have. I should have got married during COVID. You know, that's that was. That was that a was chance. The way to yeah, that, was, that was a chance. Was if I had any chance to have a small, small wedding, that would have been it. You know, it's also just like the idea of marriage is also quite scary for someone who is quite like, I like structure. I'm quite a structured person. I like things a certain way and I like to, I, I hate not knowing what's going to happen, which is again, it's like a, it's definitely like an anxious person's Mm. thing. It's, it's an, it's an anxiety thing. Um, But I hate, I hate not knowing. I hate, I hate not knowing about the future. And obviously like, marriage is such a scary thing so yeah it's it's one of those things like it's such a it's such a joyful occasion it's such a happy occasion but at the same time for me it's it can be quite sad Mm. um because it's like something that I don't know if it's it's in in the cards for me when it's going to be so yeah it's 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 tough but then it's more the lead up to the wedding that I I struggle with when I'm there it all goes out the window I'm having a great time with everyone I remember why I'm there you know I somehow somehow make it about myself (laughs) if the lead up to the wedding I'm like why is why am I making this about me (laughs) it's not about me (laughs) like I'm turned there's nothing about my own problems like what is wrong with you this is about this is about your friend your best friend is getting married and you're sitting here having a pity party for yourself but (laughs) yeah then you get to the wedding and you forget about it all and you remember why you're there you remember that you're there to celebrate your your best friend but Mm. I don't I don't know I don't know if this is something that a lot of girls in our generation probably in our culture go through it's not something that I've actually spoken to a lot of girls about but it's also I find that a lot of my Asian friends are getting married or already married so I feel like I'm not I'm part of a smaller group yeah of that yeah it's difficult to to find someone who's going through the same thing as me well we'll see Um, when we get the feedback when you get the feedback to this pod I'm sure there'll be someone who messages to say they fell the same way 
I want to talk about therapy now, Shreya, and your experience of it. Why did you decide to seek professional support and was it helpful for you or not? Yeah, definitely. I know there's like, there's a lot of deeper issues that people struggle to see a therapist about and my issues are by no way, shape or form, like anything deep, but I, I get really bad anxiety and I wanted to figure out how to deal with it. And I thought, you know, I have the, the services there. I'm a big advocate of putting your mental health first. You know, I go to the gym, you look after your physical health, you know, I eat really well, all of that. But then I'm like, what do you do for your mental health? What is the gym for your mental health? (laughs) There is none other than therapy. Why am I not taking advantage of having the opportunity to, to be able to do it? And that's what really made me want to do it was because I was like, I'm looking after my physical health. Yeah, fine. But what am I doing for my mental health? You don't have to be going through anything at all. You could just want to just work on it. You know, there's always room to strengthen your mental health and your mental well-being. You know, you can always find tools and ways to to work on it. So I wanted to work on how I can better deal with my anxiety. So obviously I was working full time. I'd also started studying and then, you know, navigating lockdown and friendships and relationships and all of that. It was it was getting quite stressful for me. And it was really useful. It was it was a bit daunting at first. I think, <laughs> remember my Always first yeah. session I was like oh, what do I talk about <laughs> I, was, I don't know what what do I tell her what if I run out of things to say what if she f- realizes like this girl has not got any issues at all why is she here but then a friend of mine was actually really helpfully said the only thing you need to worry about is turning up the therapist will ask you all the right questions they know what they're doing they're the professional they will help you out it's like when you go to the gym and you get a personal trainer all you have to do is turn up and they will do the rest. They Unless will they tell you, you homework, what to do. Which you then need to do. Uh, I mean, my therapist sent me homework. <laughs> That's so, what CBT um, is. <laughs> but again, that is just how it goes. Like you have to put in a little bit, mm. right? But what I was worried about was, you know, uh, I felt like I needed to say stuff for the sake of it, but you don't at all. They will lead you in the right direction. And I did it for about six months and we just initially try to just unpack my childhood we try to unpack what it was that was causing like my anxious nature and the way that I was so this all this people pleasing that I tended to do and now I've sort of started to put myself first it's something that has come out of the therapy and yeah she's made me realize a lot of things and it's been a relief because it's made me realize that actually like the the reason I'm feeling this way isn't for like no reason at all there is a reason that I am this way it's built up over a number of years and it's just something that I haven't addressed until now so this is why I'm saying like even if you don't think that you've got a serious mental health problem you might have just been pushing it to the back of your head you might have been just throwing it under the rug like I've been doing because on the surface of it like I don't look like someone that has been going through anything Um, who does who looks like someone who goes through something sure you never know and yeah, she made me realize actually there's a lot of there's a lot of deep rooted things that I'd just been putting back of my mind and not addressing. And now I'm a lot more aware of it. And that's helped me now to when I do see those things pop up, I'm a lot more aware of it. And so it's just a lot more easier to deal with a lot more easier for me to cope with those things. And actually, I react a lot better to certain situations now having gone through the therapy. That's the biggest thing for me that I've taken away is that my reaction to things before the anxiety would mean that my reaction was just 
I can't say it was an overreaction, but it was just something that I wish I could have handled better. And that's what spurred me on to, to seeking help in the first place. I was like, I know I can handle this situation a lot better, but I don't know how. And now I know how I've got those tools to help me to deal with that and react in a better way. So yeah, I'd highly recommend it. Even if you just wanted to do like a few sessions, it's definitely worth it. You don't need to feel obliged to do a set amount of sessions. You know, it's just, it's just sometimes it's nice to talk about things with someone who doesn't know you and who you feel like comfortable talking with. It's also something I, okay, I, I did CBT a few years ago it was over the phone I didn't feel like I connected with that therapist as much so sometimes it is just trial and error it's like who you connect with Mm. more because again your therapist is just also another person they are human too so it sometimes takes a bit of trial and error to figure out who is that person for you who's going to make that difference for you so don't give up if for the first the first session you're not feeling like it's working it might just be that therapist isn't the right match for you There was a last minute addition to the running order you wanted to include here, Shreya, which was an injury you had to your ACL, or for the listeners who don't know what that is, anterior cruciate ligament in your knee. Normally this happens to sportsmen and women and can sometimes be quite career threatening. So for you, as someone who plays netball, I believe, but isn't isn't an elite athlete, if you don't mind me saying, how did it impact your mental health as well as obviously your physical health? Yeah, so, I mean, end of my football career, for sure. I was budding football, uh, (laughs) Premier League player. Uh, So I'd say that was probably the lowest point I've ever been in my life was when I tore my ACL. I've always, I've grown up being quite sporty. Sports has been a big part of my life. I used to play football before I tore my ACL. I used to play at uni and then also a bit with work. And I annoyingly tore it skiing. Oh, wow. um, Okay. Yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even like anything glamorous. It was on a blue slope, <laughs> um, so I wasn't even doing anything crazy. It was just it was very it's all very tragic. But it was a very low point because because I'm so sporty. I like being active. For me, being active was synonymous with taking care of my mental health. Like a lot of the times, if I'm in a bad place, a run would immediately sort me out. Or yeah, going to the gym immediately sought me out. It was a massive escape for me, massive escape. And having that taken away all of a sudden was the worst feeling. I felt like the one thing that was basically keeping me together was taken away from me. And I hadn't realized actually until I tore my ACL, I hadn't realized how important and how much I took for granted my physical ability and being able to just move my body. I'd just taken it for granted. And it just made me realize like all those times that I spent chatting shit to myself about my body that all those days I have those body image day, like the horrible body image days and you say horrible things to yourself like why do I look a certain way I wish I was thinner I wish I was this I wish I was that and actually it made me realize like I am so lucky I'd taken it for granted the fact that I could just move that I could just walk and just run I could play football like I had the skills I was a really good football player and I I had those skills and I'd taken it for granted that I was I had that skill I'd never even thought about it in that way instead I'd always just beat myself up about the way I looked and it was just it was horribly shallow like now I think about it I'm like it's a horrible thing for any girl I feel like any guy or girl if you're looking at yourself and you're you're like throwing shade at your body like it can do so much more than the way it looks and yeah that was a big moment of realization for me and since then I've, I've stopped critiquing the way I look and focusing on like the physical how I look physically and focused on 
like strength and performance and things like that and just appreciating my body for what it can do but literally just living but aside from that also just the struggle so I was like out for six months I basically had to learn to walk again which was a massive massive mental struggle yeah I I had a lot of dark days you know after work this was before the pandemic so it was when remote working wasn't massive thing so I was out of the office for a few months just working from home and I remember I'd sometimes just finish work and then I'd just get into bed and just cry because I was like I don't know what else to do I can't go out see my friends I was on crutches and yeah it was just it was just really dark and but I persevered so much I knew I knew that me just crying in bed wasn't going to get me anywhere I needed to smash my rehab I needed to focus I needed to focus that energy on training my knee and training as much as I could to just get to a point where I could walk again and I'm proud of myself now looking back because that's what kept me motivated was that idea of I can do this I can walk again I will be able to walk again I want to be able to run again I will play sports again I'll be able to hit the gym again and that determination like I had moments all the time where I would just break down and not want to do anything at all but I think the overpowering sensation of me wanting to just prove to myself that I can do it basically allowed me to just keep going and that has got me to where I am now and I'd probably say I'm stronger than I was before that moment. I'm stronger in every sense of the word, physically, mentally. I had to force myself to try and battle my mental health problems in another way that wasn't physical. Because like I said, before I tore my ACL, I was dealing with a lot of my anxiety through running and through going to the gym. And so I needed to find a different outlet. I needed to find a different way of coping with anxiety that didn't involve obviously being able to go on a run. So I did a lot of creative things so I remember I got like a coloring book and then I also started drawing and one thing that really helped which I think a lot of people are quite dubious about is headspace and meditation it's still something that I struggle with I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I meditate all the time I'm great at it but I'm not but once in a while I do think give it a go if you're having a having a hard time because headspace definitely helped me with just slowing my mind down sometimes I'd be like I have so much going on in my head and that's when the emotions were running high like headspace is quite good because it's obviously got the um, guided meditation so you don't have to have complete silence you've got someone kind of telling you how to sort of control your breath telling you where to direct your breath and all of that and that just helps slow you down it just slows down all your thoughts and it massively helped for a few I'd say a few weeks I kept it up and then I did it every now and then to just when I struggled to sleep or if I I had a really hard hard time just cutting all the noise out, it would really help. So it's one of those things, I think, it's one of those, that and um, Calm is the other app, isn't it? There's a lot of mixed opinions on it and I think a lot of people don't really believe that it works, but I first-hand experience to say that it, it did work for me and I was at a really low point in my life. So yeah, I can say that it worked for me I mean why it might not work for someone else but I would definitely give it a go you know I'm glad to say that I came out of it a lot stronger and I'm a lot like very proud but yeah at the time genuinely just didn't think that I'd be able to walk again so here I am and yeah it just goes to show I think that a lot of these things are very mental if you believe you can do something a lot of the times you can do it if you believe you can't you won't ever even put in the in the effort to get from point A to B. So yeah, I think belief is is really strong. Got to keep believing. The final part 
of your journey you want to discuss, Shrey. And it's something that we almost didn't even talk about in our conversation offline. <laughs> is a very big period of heartache you went through in a relationship pre-lockdown. Now, despite all of the pain you said you went through, you also said it was one of the most life-changing moments of my adult life. And you now love yourself more than you ever have done. So how could something so painful be so life-affirming? Yeah, so went through a breakup just before the pandemic. It was one of those breakups that really shake you. It was like my heart was aching. It was horrible. And yeah, I've never felt so shattered in my life. And it took a few days for me to kind of get over that initial like shock and sadness around it. But then after that, kind of similar to how I approached my ACL tear, I said to myself, I can't, I can't keep feeling sorry for myself. It's happened now and I'm not going to go back to this person because, you know, it's just not in my character nature to do that. Like they've ended it. That's it. They clearly don't want to make things work. So the best that I can do for myself is work on myself and be the best version of myself that I can be. I had found that in the relationship prior to our breakup anyway, I was starting to lose myself a bit. And it again comes down to this people pleasing nature of mine. Like I, I wanted to be this version of myself that I thought he liked. I convinced myself that the version of me that I, the me that I knew, that I knew wasn't good enough. I like convinced myself that actually like, no, no, you need to be this way. You need to be that way. You need to do this. You need to wear this to be able to be someone that he's going to continue to like. In that process, I just lost who I was and it was so frustrating. And then in that process, I also just became someone that I didn't like and someone that he didn't like either. Cause he was like, I fell in love with this girl a year ago who is nothing like the person that you are today. And in hindsight, I'm like, that's actually completely fair. I was becoming someone that I didn't even recognize myself. And in that frustration, I was also just lashing out a lot. So I definitely started to see that at the end of the relationship anyway. And so I think when we broke up, it was an opportunity for me to try to rebuild rebuild that and basically just start to love myself more because I realized and I know it's cliche to say but you can't expect to love someone if you don't love yourself first and so I put all of my energy I, just, I didn't go back onto the apps or anything didn't want to date again I literally was like I need to just figure out a who I am again and it's, it's honestly sometimes it's as simple as my style like things like you know what I felt comfortable in wearing, what I felt comfortable doing, my interests, my hobbies, things like that. Like it, it doesn't have to be anything deep, but it was literally just surface level things like that to start. And I, I had my parents around me, obviously we were all in lockdown. So it, 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 it did help because the environment for me at the time was actually quite conducive to, to someone being able to figure out those things. So yeah, for me, it was quite fortunate timing. And yeah, it was about six, seven months of like real growth, I think. Probably the most growing I've ever done. I just did stuff that I wanted to do. And in that, in that process, I realized these are the things that I like doing. These are the things I don't like doing. And this is eventually, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to achieve from a relationship. This is the kind of person I want to be with, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I was just so much happier, so much happier by the end of it. And yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd grown so much. And I'd learned a lot about myself. Like I said, I'd learned prior to the relationship that I was being this this person that I didn't really like. I'd recognized traits that I 
didn't like about myself. So I worked on those specifically. I really tried hard after the breakup, not to blame it entirely on the other person. I tried to actually think about the things that I was doing that weren't great as well. And yeah, just tried to take it from a more reflective standpoint and not, you know, it was, there were times, obviously times, a lot of times that I struggled a lot, but yeah, I think on the whole, it was actually quite a positive experience. Now looking back at the time, I didn't think so, but now it feels like, yeah, okay. I learned a lot and I was a lot better from it now. Given you are now with the same person you were then, are you better versions of yourselves and are you better partners for each other? Yeah, definitely. We've both grown through the whole process. I think he did similar sort of thinking and we're just better communicators. We're able to be ourselves around each other. And I think that's the most important thing. I think I was just trying, I was not being myself. It led to a lot of conflict. And now the main thing is we've just become better communicators and we address issues a lot quicker rather than sitting on them for ages and then it will come out a month or so later in a massive argument. We now talk about things straight away and it's been a lot better. So yeah, it it worked out for the best in the end. Let's reflect on your journey now. So what has it taught you about yourself and if you could go back and talk to that 14-year-old Treya who was struggling with anxiety or maybe the 26, 27-year-old Treya who was finding Indian weddings difficult to handle or maybe the 27-year-old Treya who was going through that breakup, what would you say to her knowing what you do now? Um, that you grow through what you go through. Interesting. Expand on that every point in my life where I've thought I've hit rock bottom, not going to get out of it. I've grown in more ways than I could have ever imagined. My ACL tearing when I was, when I finished university and was kind of battling this independence again, the breakup, lockdown, all those moments in my life where I thought it can't, like, this is the worst. I've actually come out of it stronger than I ever thought I could. I've learned the most from those situations than I have from any other positive experience in my life. It's those rubbish situations that you tend to learn the most about yourself and you tend to learn the most from, you tend to grow the most out of. And yeah, I think that was what I would tell those versions of myself is that you are going to be so much stronger just from getting through this. And now when I do go through really shit times, I will just tell myself, like the thing that I tell myself all the time is you've got a hundred percent track record on your worst days. So you can do this. So yeah, it can, it can't get any worse. So that is literally my little mantra to myself. Whenever I'm going through a really hard time is you've got a hundred percent track record on your hardest days. So you can get through whatever you're going through now. We have come to our final topic of conversation on your podcast episode, Shreya. And it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, which is a general natter and a chat about our mental health. So firstly, we are recording at times of Omicronian circumstances. How would you say your mental health is at the moment, pal? Um, uh, I think on the whole, it's fine. A little bit deflated, I think. I think, do you know what? The worst I felt is the fact that I'm just not feeling Christmassy this year. That's probably... Yeah, I mean, you know, there are worse things in the world. 
but yeah, it's a bit of a shame that a couple of things have been cancelled. But ultimately, the main thing is that everyone is hopefully able to see family and friends over the festive period and people are staying safe. And it's frustrating, but I'd, I'd say that mentally I'm still in a good place, thankfully. And yeah, it is a tough time for a lot of people, though. I think Christmas can be such a happy time, but I think like weddings... For some people, Christmas can be quite a tough time. I know that for some people who have lost loved ones and, yeah, who maybe don't have big families or don't have a family at all, it can be probably, like, the hardest time of the year. So I think we should be conscious of those people as well, like, not throw too much Christmas in their faces. Mm. And, yeah, I think the whole Omicron situation might be quite hard on some people, especially, I think I have friends who have tested positive in the last two or three days, so will have to isolate now over Christmas, which is such a shame. So I do, my like heart goes out to those people who are in those situations. I feel very grateful that I can still go home. So yeah, I'm in the hole, I'm on the hole, I'm okay. But I think, yeah, thinking about everyone who's not not okay. What age do you think you were when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? So I think the moment that I realized that I'm a bit of a stress ball and that I'm kind of a bit more prone to maybe anxiety and mental health related issues was, so when I was younger, I started getting really bad stomach aches. And this was actually back in secondary school, I think just before GCSEs and A-levels. So I started getting really bad stomach aches, went to the doctors, like multiple doctor visits. They did all the tests, nothing really came out as serious so they just diagnosed me with IBS oh wow blanket yeah blanket diagnosis and I was like well so why do I have like what is this like why do I have IBS like what do I do like how do I feel better like in my head all I wanted to do was just wanted the pain to go away I wanted to just feel better and that's when the doctor said to me that this is just stress you're just stressed you need to manage your stress better and I was like okay but how? Like, you can't just tell me to manage my stress. Like, I didn't even Easier know I was that stressed. Down, isn't it? Yeah. And it was it was one of those weird moments where I was like, I don't actually feel that stress. Like I said to you, like when academically, I've never really felt a lot of pressure. Like, yeah, you have like your general pressures of exams or like exams are coming up. You feel a bit stressed, but I've generally enjoyed studying. Like I like it. So I never really thought that I was stressed. So then when the doctor said like, oh, you're stressed. I was like, am I? I didn't really realize I was that stressed, but clearly I am if it's manifesting in my stomach and and that's when I realized that I'm so good at what's the word when you just put things to the side I'm so good at like putting my mental (laughs) yeah burying my stress I bury it to the point where it's not in my head anymore but it's in my stomach and it comes out physically which is so common for a lot of people like you know some people get rashes some people it comes out in like spots and acne for me it's my stomach And that's when I really realized like, okay, I really need to work on my anxiety, really need to work on my stress because if I don't, then it's gonna come out and I'm gonna be in pain and I don't wanna be in pain. And that's, yeah, that's when I first realized, unfortunately like doctors aren't very helpful when it comes to IBS in general, but also when it comes to like helping you manage stress-related IBS, there's not really a pill that they can just give you and it'll Mm -hmm. go away. And I really struggled in the in those years to find a solution for it. There wasn't a lot out there yet when I was that age. I think it was back in, must have been 20, 2005, 2004. Back then, there wasn't a lot of chat on mental health. People didn't talk about it a lot. So it was really, I was just in the dark, didn't really know how to deal with it. 
and I just kind of got on with it. And my awareness about it has only grown in the last few years because there have been more tools to be able to explore it. So like going to therapy, having podcasts to listen to so you can relate to things a lot more, friends who are a lot more open about it. That's given me the opportunity to actually think about my mental health a lot more. Whereas in the past, I knew it was there, but I didn't think about it as much. And I didn't, I just didn't know what to do about it. And that's why, you know, I got into sports and I got into running and I got into the gym because that was my way of dealing with it. Dealing with it, but not dealing with it, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I think there is a lot of work to do in that space, actually, in like the whole, like when stress comes out in a sort of physical form, because that's so tough. It's so tough to navigate that because it's almost like a vicious circle. When I had my stomach aches, I was like, okay, I'm stressed about something. But what am I stressed about? And then that will stress me out even more. So then I'll get more of a stomach ache. And then I'll get stressed again because I was like, hey, this is so painful. And it's stressing me out that it's so painful. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. So then it'll stress me out even more. And then you're just stuck in this vicious cycle. And it's just so hard to then get out of that cycle because you're just, you're in a circle of stress and pain and stress and pain. And it's tough to get out of that. And I think there, there needs to be a lot more work done on helping people come out of that cycle. Yeah, so I have friends who who get rashes when they're stressed, but then they'll see the rash and because it's quite like a physical, you can see it. They will see it and it will, like you're almost thinking about it constantly. So it, the stress makes it worse. And it's it's horrible. Stress really is. I think it's just, it's crazy. I find it mind boggling how it can manifest itself on your body. It's, it's wild. But that, I think that's why it's so important. You treat your mind the same way you do your muscles. And like, you know, when you train your muscles, you should also want to train your mind. If you're ever like considering, even considering therapy, I'd, I'd say do it. Can you talk about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? How did it go? And what impact did it have? Did it feel like a big moment for you or a big burden or weight had been lifted? Or did it feel like something quite small and easy and insignificant to do? Oh, honestly, I think it was with the doctor. <laughs> I think it was the doctor that told me I was too stressed out and that's why I was getting IBS. So in a way... It felt small and insignificant because he kind of brushed it off, but at the same time felt like a burden because it felt like something that I had to figure out myself. So it was like twofold. Felt like quite alone and on my own, trying to figure out how to work, how to manage the pain, but also how to deal with the underlying issue that was causing that pain. And then also having to deal with the fact that actually it's something that's just been brushed off. It's just not a nice feeling when someone tells you it's not a big deal, it's all in your head. And yeah, I get it, it is in my head, but doesn't make it not a big deal it's still a problem if what's in my head is causing something to cause me pain elsewhere so yeah I'd say that was probably my first conversation about it was with the doctor and then I can't remember who the real conversation like then I haven't really had many conversations about it I'd say I'd say I, I properly talked about mental health on my first episode of the podcast and that's when I first properly opened up about it actually I don't think I've ever really spoken about it with anyone before that apart from yourself yeah <laughs> you've spoken about some of the tools and methods used to improve your mental health Shreya. so i won't ask you that question but what triggers do you have that affect your mental health so it could be a uh, sound could be a sensation could be a social environment could be a person could be a film could be a book or have you not figured all of them out yet i think it's words words can have such a big impact on me and i think a lot of people but particularly on me what people say to me, I think I take very seriously. I take it very to heart. So I'm mm. quite an emotional person. And if someone says something, I will immediately take it to heart. But because I'm a people pleaser and I'm quite accommodating, I won't show it. I don't want them to feel bad 
that they've upset me or that they've said something to upset me. So I think that's a big trigger is if someone said something to upset me, but I won't necessarily immediately say it or show it because I don't like people feeling bad. Because a lot of the times people say things, they don't mean it. And I know that, I get that. But yeah, I think words can be so harmful sometimes. And I think people's opinions as well can sometimes Mm -hmm. be quite triggering. So opinions and words for me are the strongest triggers. What is the best book or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? I have to admit, I don't read very much on mental health. <laughs> doesn't have to be Not on mental health, I don't by enjoy the way. It. it can be anything that's helped you. Actually, recently, recently I read The Midnight, Midnight Library, Library by yeah, Matt, I read that. Matt yeah, Haig. Yeah. Great book. I don't read a lot of mental health books because I have a really short attention span. I can't <laughs> read self-help books. I, could, I can't do it. I need to be reading a story or like it has to be a story, which is why I really enjoyed The Midnight Library because it's not necessarily giving you advice, but it's indirectly got a lot of deep meaning Mm. behind the story so and it it helped me to reflect on my own life experiences and help me to look at things a lot differently so now I still when I'm thinking about things or if I'm ever going to have a a regret or if I have a regret about something I shape it a lot differently now I'm always thinking actually if I hadn't done that thing life would be a lot different now so it's helped me to look at things a lot differently and it was a yeah, it was a su- surprisingly a really good read. I read it really quickly. The yeah. fastest I've read a book, couldn't put it down. I, heard, I remember reading it on the train on my way to work, and I missed my stop, so I was late getting into work because <laughs> I missed my stop. <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend that one, especially if you. Str- okay, I know self help books can be really helpful for some people, but also some people find them really difficult to read. Which is, and I'm one of those people. So yeah, really impactful book. So I'd say that's my mental health bible mm. if I had one. And as a final question, and this is a broad one, what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? I think first off, just start checking in on your friends and just being aware and kind to your friends. Charity starts at home, I always say, so... You know, if you can help your friends first, that's the main thing. Help your friends and your family. Make sure that they're feeling okay. Shreya Shah, thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast, pal. Thank you for having me. It's been so great. I've missed this. We'll definitely have to, yeah, you're going to have to hold it against me that I start my podcast at the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Hold me to it. We have come to the end of this episode of the Just Checking Podcast with Shreya Shah. I want to say a massive thank you to Shreya for being my special guest on this episode's pod and for letting me check in with her. You can follow Shreya on social media in the show notes and I'll also include a link to In All Fairness if you want to subscribe and start listening. I have been reliably told by Shreya on this podcast and off air that she's going to kickstart it again with more episodes in the new year so stay tuned for that. You can also probably binge it quite easily if you wanted to start again from the beginning. I'll sign us off by saying, if you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues about it, tell your family about it, spread the word about Vent and the podcast. If you're feeling generous, please help us out with those precious algorithms by writing us a review and giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support us even further, you can do so by going to our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. That's venthelpuk, spelled V-E-N-T. H-E-L-P-U-K, all one word. If you don't want to do that and you want to make a one-off donation, you can do that by going to our GoFundMe. That is on our link tree and across 
all of our channels. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it is always okay. <laughs>